is one of the key strategic asset for any transformation to happen and it's growing it's growing in variety in volume in velocity any organization who will be able to manage the complexity and make sense of this data in a timely manner i think will thrive when it comes to digital transformation today and in future welcome to the data chief Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. If you look around your home, it's very likely you have at least one item from the Unilever family of brands lying around. From the soap in your shower to the ice cream bars in your freezer, Unilever delivers everyday products that help people get more out of life, and they rely on data to ensure they're doing it sustainably. Today's guests are Unilever Director of Digital Finance Transformation, Wandana Khanna, and Director of Data and Analytics, Deeksha Singh. On this episode, the two leaders joined Cindy to share exactly how they're using data to impact everything from supply chain decisions to employee belonging. They also dive into how they are demystifying data at every level, eliminating manual reporting and data visualization work, and using data and AI to be a more sustainable company. All of this and more in today's episode with Wandana Khanna and Deeksha Singh. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people from companies like Walmart, Hulu, Schneider Electric, Cloud Academy, and Mercado use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. You can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Deeksha, Wandana, welcome to The Data Chief. Very happy to be here, Cindy. Thanks, Cindy. Glad to be here. So Deeksha, let's start with you. Where are you joining us from? I've been in Bangalore for 11 years. It's been home. Uh, Unilever brought me here and that's where I'm joining from. Wandana, you're like in my backyard, I believe. <laughs> Yes, I am. I'm in the sunny New Jersey. It feels like spring right now, 54 degrees or something like that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I've been in New Jersey for a very long time, 17, 18 years, I guess. You're going to jinx us, you know. We're going to get a late snowstorm here. I, it guarantees it. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> so Unilever is maybe not a household name for some people, but there's so many household brands Tell me a little bit about the brands that you each work with, and maybe Deeksha, if we can start with you. Yes, Unilever is truly a global organization. We have over 400 brands. We operate in 190 countries, and we serve two and a half billion people every day in and out. A lot of our brands are a household name, and I think we touch every, every life some way or the other. I come from uh, an organization within Unilever, which is called Unilever Operations or UniOps, as we call it. And we take immense pride. I take immense pride in the fact that UniOps is the engine of Unilever, which runs Unilever. We enable growth, efficiencies, stability, and innovation for Unilever, enabled through tech, talent, as well as data. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is the nature of my job is something that I cut across all brands. I cut across all processes, all functions, all markets. 
So most of the roles that I have done in my career with Unilever have been global, where we basically work across brands. But if, yeah, if you were to talk to me about my favorite brand recently, it's the Love, Beauty and Planet brand, which I'm, uh, brand which I'm really uh, following and loving these days. Wandana, what about you? Yeah, so she covered all the stats uh, and uh, that's the power and beauty of Unilever. So I would give one more stat just to tickle the mind. There are 13 key brands which are over 1 billion euros and that's a strong number. There are brands like Dove, Ben & Jerry's, Hellman's, Magnum, Knorr, Lipton. These are all household names across the globe. And similar to Diksha, my role is also cutting across all brands. I sit in the North America finance uh, leadership team. So it's not one particular brand I serve, but it's the entirety of it. One of the biggest markets, or I would say the biggest market is North America. And when you are in Unilever, you get to taste the global environment of it also. So again, coming to the point, I look at the entirety of it and there is no one brand I'm looking or analyzing, so to speak, or spearheading. So my goal is to make sure the entire portfolio runs smooth on the data engine. So you do work in finance, but also look at digital transformation within the financial services function. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So that's my role. And I also touch upon global finance. So there are quite a few things which intermingle with each other. And digital transformation is such a huge term that even if you try to bundle so many things in it, there will be everything. So in a nutshell, it always starts with people. And then, of course, the trust in data and the technologies before you get to the main part of it that you have to now work through the technologies and data and then the adoption. So there is a lot of change management in the journey. There is a lot of data literacy, digital literacy in the journey. There is a lot of handholding and there is a lot of patience which is needed in the transformation journey because something might not be adopted right then and there. And everyone has to believe and trust data and embrace it so that um, you move faster. So there is a component of data analytics. There is a component of just RPA, machine learning, AI. There is a component of ERP upgrade. So the, the portfolio is huge. It depends on where and when you have to trust and make sure you make an impact. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I should tell you one of my favorite brands is Magnum. And I believe this was first released when I was living in... Switzerland, the Magnum ice cream bar with double cream ice cream and then a high quality chocolate. So we were so excited then when it came to the U.S. Do you know it? The And now you have that crunchy tub. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Squeeze the tub. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. The guilty pleasure moments. <laughs> Something you want to avoid, but you can't. Oh, no, no, no. We don't even try avoiding them. But I get annoyed when one of my kids eats the top layer of the chocolate. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So many great brands. And of course, data, as you said, Wandana, data is at the heart of digital transformation. So Deeksha, tell us a little bit about the data that is informed in getting all these brands to the consumers. Yeah, sure. I think Wandana very beautifully portrayed in terms of different pillars around digital transformation. I also believe that data is one of the key strategic asset for any transformation to happen for any organization for that matter. And it's growing. It's growing in variety, in volume, in velocity. 
any organization who will be able to manage the complexity and make sense of this data in a timely manner, I think will thrive when it comes to digital transformation today and in future. Typically, if you talk about an FMCG company, generally people think it's a company which sells, markets products, maybe manufactures them, and what data will they have? But if you talk about Unilever, and I think it extends to a lot of other FMCG organizations as well, the breadth of data that lies in the organization is massive. And we, as part of data and analytics team, is constantly working to make our lives simpler in terms of how do we make sense of it in a very simplified, easy way. Right from the point where we procure our raw materials and even the ingredients of the raw materials to the way we manufacture, then distribute to retail points, and finally when the product is in the hands of consumers at each and every touch point of the value chain, there is data generated. And then top of it, there is industry data, there is media, there is pricing, social network, So structured, unstructured data in all forms. So yeah, there is huge amount of data. And this is the data we also engage with in and out as part of the data and analytics organization as part of an FMCG organization. That's a range of data. And interesting that you emphasize the part about supply chain and the manufacturing of it of the different products. I understand that Unilever also measures and cares very much about the sustainability side. So how much packaging and plastics go into that? Can you elaborate on that type of data and how you're actually measuring it? So yes, sustainability is in the core, the heart of everything we do. Uh, Unilever's purpose is about making sustainable living commonplace. And yes, a large amount of data is being used in terms of how do we enable reduction in carbon, reduction in plastic, deforestation and its impact, and even sustainable sourcing. So if I were to pick an example, a case in point of sustainable sourcing, we've partnered with a third party who provides us with the cloud services. That along with the satellite data that is available in terms of monitoring the impact of these ingredients that are being sourced from different locations across the globe, coupled with the power of AI. When we mix all of this, we get very rich geospatial data, which we are using in a lot of decision-making when it comes to where are we sourcing from. So for example, if these ingredients are being sourced from a location which is impacted by deforestation and has a future impact of deforestation, we can take quick decision of not sourcing from those locations, from those places where there is a deforestation impact. And I think that's the power of data. And that's how we are empowering ourselves with the data to make these business decisions fairly fast, helping us to lead towards a healthier planet. Yeah, that's incredible. So Wandana, if we go to you, you also partner with the supply chain and factory finance teams. And you mentioned already as part of digital transformation, it's not just the technology, it's the people change management. (laughs) You use the word, sometimes we have to be patient, but I don't think people and leaders are particularly patient. So how are you addressing some of the mindset shifts that need to happen to leverage all this data that Deeksha's team is provisioning? Yeah, so Diksha and I are very much joined in the sense we have the same mission to make the data available and create an environment which is data literate, data intelligent, because we want to create that community for people. So yes, people are the heart of it, the core of it. 
and the trust and uh, belief in technology is obviously the foremost then adoption start and the mindset shift what i mean is the reliance on data and tools and then getting out of this manual jail because people don't want to get out of it unless you inspire them unless you tell them this is the art of the possible this is what it looks like this is what good looks like actually so unless they see it how would they believe in if they are never exposed to data in the manner in which probably diksha and i are traversing our journeys so supply chain is such an incredible place where you can make an impact faster and larger and touch so many lives and so many technologies there can be super powerful so one example would be when we started working on rpas we started taking away all the manual reporting imagine the width and the breadth of the manual reporting we had as soon as rpa what put in place we had triggered a momentum across the sourcing units with these rpas and they became the biggest hit because people said oh wow i'm able to save so much time yes it's a journey you cannot just do it overnight it takes a lot of effort patience also from the side both sides the one who is leading one who is driving and one who is adopting so you have to find the right champions in place you cannot just do it by telling people go figure it out and rpa will be ready tomorrow you have to work with people throughout and it takes multiple months many months to get to that point where you reach that sweet spot and you say okay i'm out of this manual intervention and now rpas are running successfully and when you see your reporting day in and out which is literally no touch then you realize the power of it that is one great example where impact has been felt tremendously then the other one would be like visualization when you want to see your data right in front of you you have to have automation behind it you cannot just go about creating things now i would say again a manual jail of powerpoints uh, the death by a powerpoint as many people call it and um, you have to get out of that mundane exercise of creating those powerpoints if you have those dynamic visualizations right in front of you where data is so neatly and nicely curated for you to make an impact and run with it and then also there are many ways we have changed the mindset by showing them that if you avoid and eliminate manual intervention from the process flows and streamline the operations because you see the end to end through automation then the time value money people they all get the power of it and imagine we did during the pandemic time so people thanked and people felt that time was given back to them for their own well being and not to say any other incremental time which was given back so it is very powerful once people start believing in it so it all starts from that small trigger of shift believe in it and then the sky's the limit yeah so there's a couple points there that i think are are really important i love your term the manual jail <laughs> and death by powerpoint powerpoint is where data goes to die but you also said it's about having the champion and the joy of giving people their time back now ultimately when they get the time back they're happy and appreciative of this but initially the reactions might be fear am i less valued will i lose my job and be replaced by some of this automation this in particular is how some of the 
power data analysts feel when we talk about how dashboards are dead. So besides having a good champion and being patient, are there specific tactics you've used to bring people along on the journey? I would say, Cindy, you hit the nail on the head. There is always a fear. When people hear the term transformation, there is a fear. It first creates fear, then it creates anything else. <laughs> so it always starts from there. And you have to make sure as a leader, as a champion, you tell them there is nothing to fear. In fact, there will be more opportunity to make an impact. And because without people, transformation cannot sustain or even move slightly. You cannot move the needle at all if you don't have people in there. And everything and anything cannot be done by technology. You need the minds behind people. You need the minds to continuously change these. Think about the algorithms, the machine learning. You cannot just go on and leave these bots and algorithms to run amok all the time and do whatever they want because you want someone behind them monitoring them. That's why we have all compliance. That's why we have all the security. That's why we have reviews. That's why we try to create that digital workforce which is constantly monitored like human beings. So it is like a human being, and or you can say human in the loop kind of environment where human and technology are working together all the time. You cannot do one thing without the other. So you have to show it, show it, show it constantly till people are inspired. And then you start it. You cannot shove it in front of people and say, okay, now it's done. Deeksha, anything you want to add there? Yeah, the only thing that comes to my mind is there's this quote that I read a few years ago, which has stayed with me for like seven, eight years now, which says that everybody wants change, but nobody wants to change. It's human nature, right? In terms of everybody looking for something new, but when it hits us, our first reaction is defense. And therefore, just complementing with what Bandana was saying, I feel that as an organization, what we have also realized is the power of data and digital literacy, which is around raising the floor and bringing people along in terms of, you know, making them literate, making them aware of things that are coming their way, rather than just giving them a surprise blow to their heads to say that we are changing tomorrow. So there are various trainings, there are various courses that our employees go through in terms of making themselves literate about what is digitization, what is data and analytics, you know, mystifying it for them in terms of understanding that this is the future and the future is here and we need to be a part of it to do better every day for the larger good of Unilever. Yeah. So investing in raising the bar or the floor, as you said, I think is really important with people. And we know we have a talent gap in data and analytics. You use the term digital literacy. I often think about technical literacy as being different from data literacy or data fluency. How do you approach this and what are the different learning techniques you've applied, Diksha, in, in raising the talent here? Yes. So let me build on the part that I was mentioning on raising the floor itself, which I think is the right thing to do in terms of ensuring that our people are enabled and equipped. If I talk about Data and analytics itself, last year, we went about ensuring that each and every employee of the organization was trained in a course called Demystifying Data and Analytics. So they got exposed to the basics of what is data, what is a data model, how does an algorithm work, what is AI, the basics of different forms of model, et cetera. And therefore, they understood you know, what is behind it. 
And to Vandana's point as well, it introduced them to the concept of the marriage of human intelligence and machine intelligence, and that they have to work together. So constantly looking for ways in terms of ensuring that people are up to date, they understand what is happening in the organization and why, what's the purpose of it, I think is one thing which uh, I absolutely believe in. And I think our organization is equally working on. I love the title, Demystifying, and also because it starts with just the concepts, not the technology. I feel that if our industry has made a huge mistake over the last decade or even 20 years, we keep trying to teach non-technical people the technology and not the data in a business context. Absolutely. And it it brings me a very uh, interesting point where as leaders in data and analytics, we went through a training, a leadership training, which was called Unstereotype. And it was also about our biases. Of course, it touched across different forms of unconscious bias that we have as, as individuals, as human beings. But as technology professionals, what we got from it is that we need to talk the language of our people and not talk technology in front of them. So understanding them, their problems, their issues, and explaining it to them in their language goes a long way in terms of raising the floor and bringing them along. Yeah, absolutely. I think all the data chief listeners are going to message you and ask, can you open source that course? Uh, (laughs) we'll, We'll see about that. But for sure, technology plays a role here, and we don't want to be teaching people hard-to-use tools or like coding SQL. Not every A business user doesn't need that. So tell me a little bit about how the tech stack has evolved maybe in the last few years and the role of cloud. I think uh, Unilever, even being an FMCG company, has been very, very open when it comes to technology evolution. I don't think we've ever shied away from experimenting, taking the big risk and innovating on the technology front. And it's not more than a 10, probably 15 years of journey that from a very fragmented way of operation when it came to having multiple ERPs, having different processes, and therefore operating in very different manners to coming to four consolidated standardized set of ERPs, we moved pretty fast. And then we were bold enough to you know, take the step of complementing our core ERP estate with different forms of bolt-ons in different spaces, be it in terms of innovating our planning space, even in financials, in terms of our cash-up processes, in terms of how we interacted with our sales force, bringing up mobile along the way in terms of equipping our uh, sales force into the markets, taking orders day in and day out. So we've been on that journey in terms of, you know, complementing our core with a lot of bolt-ons. And like you pointed out right now, some of our topmost priority is moving to the cloud. So we have an entire transformation program running in terms of moving our estate to the cloud, as well as moving all our applications to potentially a SaaS application wherever possible. As we went along, these are the core operations, the core transactional systems that I'm talking about. But if we talk about data and analytics itself from fragmented silo pieces of information to consolidated reporting places, moving uh, ahead in terms of very frequently, you know, we've moved pretty fast across these stages of evolution. We are at the stage of building our own data lake very near to closing it, building on very strong data governance and quality principles, et cetera. And as part of my role, we are actually ready to move to the next stage, 
much ahead of the market, I'd proudly say, in terms of moving to platform-based analytics and just changing the ways, you know, the stepping stone to changing the way of how our users, our employees are going to access data and insights. So as you mentioned specific vendors, then I have to ask this platform-based analytics, is this the role where ThoughtSpot comes into play? Yes, yes, it does. As part of our platform strategy, uh, ThoughtSpot is our smart search engine. So we are enabling searching uh, in a smarter way on the platform using the capabilities that ThoughtSpot brings to front. So Wandana, you so listening to Diksha about the technology and demystifying data, how do you intersect with this and how do the two of you work together to make sure in finance that you're partners in all this modernization across the whole workflow? So there are quite a few things which touch uh, between us. The way she is leading in her space, I'm trying to bring that self-service mode within the organization. And that's what people in the business, so-called finance folks, need that, okay, how can I get my reporting right now? How can it be real time? We are all moving towards that. And for that, we definitely need a single version of truth, for example. We need a single place where people can go in and feel confident about it. So as she mentioned about Data Lake and um, ThoughtSpot is another thing which I had used with my prior company also. And I'm very curious how we can bring about that shift in mindset using that, which is basically low code or no code at all technology. It's a smart engine where you can write and get all your information right at your fingertips. So that is something very neat and niche which people can utilize without spending more time on going through SQL. And that is what people get scared of. Oh, do I have to learn coding now? And that is what people just back away from. We don't want that. If you are not ready for it, we don't want people to learn the languages. You can live without this. We are in a world where coding is not needed. You can be smart about how you use the technology. So there are enough people or there are amazing people who who love technology are actually doing it. So not everyone has to be data geek, so to speak. So I would say this is the place where ThoughtSpot and the likes come in and how we elevate and how we take our users, our community on their journey that, yep, it's right here. Use it, dip into it and start taking advantage of it. And that's where we are partnering together to bring it to fruition for our community. Yeah, I think it's more about maybe some people, the experts need to be capable and skilled in SQL or things like this, but it's really the frontline decision makers, the non-analysts, that it's just more about the data and the insight rather than the technology. So make the technology as invisible as possible. Beyond data fluency, Wandana, you talk a lot and write a lot about the diversity of your team and building diverse teams. Why is this so important? It's a very important mission, very close to my heart. My purpose is aligned with that. I like to take people along with on the journey. I definitely like to dream big and take people along. That's how I define my purpose. So coming to Unilever, definitely I have enjoyed that journey much more because Unilever also believes in the same purpose. And for Unilever, diversity, inclusion, and belonging is a huge initiative. As this organization, we have multiple employee resource groups. Many organizations have that. Here we have established that and they support diverse ethnicities, culture, communities, orientations. And I'm also a co-lead for Asian group. 
so it's a mission to elevate our organization where people find safe place to voice their opinions and also feel empowered as they come along so you asked me a question why am i particular about this because as i came into this country several years ago to study as an immigrant i faced a lot of challenges i faced a lot of challenges and i felt i did not belong and i was always and every time trying to fit in instead of flexing in because nobody told me all these terms i felt i had imposter syndrome which i learned very later on that this is the term i never realized the nuances i never realized the microaggressions then i took it up to myself and then uh, it helped me understand okay this is what it means then i started attending so many trainings and then i said no it's time to speak up about it because i'm sure many people who are are feeling the same way as i felt when i landed here maybe they're still feeling it despite being in the country for a long time and being a person of color in this country you have to understand and you have to have a very high i would say eq uh, not just iq but eq also so that you can understand people around you understand yourself be self aware so that you can guide your people as a leader so that became my mission and i started vocalizing writing about it talking about it and now i can't just stop about <laughs> talking about it at all <laughs> no it's good we share a passion on this the february data chief live edition we talked about biases in ai and what what are the different tools in your toolbox to mitigate that and the second highest rated approach was to improve the diversity of the data and analytics team or the data science teams with 27% of those surveyed choosing that as an option and yet very few organizations are actually able to tackle that because of challenges either in the pipeline or a leaky pipeline as we say have you seen that change in recent years Yeah absolutely it has changed i think people are becoming more aware and i would say taking more diverse people on the journey definitely eliminates and take care of those biases so first of all organizations are setting up those bias trainings we definitely have it many organizations have it so you have to understand those and the people who are more inspired educated and informed will make all these decisions in the right manner in the data and digital space also because you have to have uh, data which is ethical data which is bias free i mean after seeing so many movies and all your minds just boggle down that really this is still happening you cannot decipher a person of color versus a different person so these things are still happening but i think in the last 10 15 years we all have come a long way where we are vocalizing about it all the time which is informing the others who were making the decisions previously if you have the right decision makers and you have diverse people on the table at the table they definitely will drive this change so in our company also we are this is an important pillar to how to drive ethics data ethics and how to make sure our data is bias free and that is definitely we all are working towards making it possible can data be bias free i think all data is biased i agree 100% i mean human beings have biases we cannot eliminate our biases no matter how we try we will never be bias free we will be bias aware bias aware i like that i like that term bias aware and also uh, you mentioned 
the need to have leaders with higher EQ and your own imposter syndrome. So again, looking at how accomplished you are and that somebody has that. I hate to break it to you though. My CEO recently shared with me that there's a correlation with people with higher EQ and imposter syndrome. Yeah. Isn't that a bummer? Does that surprise you? No, it does not. It does not. Because the more you're aware, the more you realize you're not enough. But then you have to check it. You have to check it constantly, constantly, which shows you know yourself so very well. If you know yourself so very well, you will be constantly checking yourself. They're very correlated. I want high EQ without the imposter syndrome. <laughs> we can make it possible. Yeah, everything is possible. What do you think about this, Diksha? Is all data biased? How are you improving the diversity in your own core data and analytics team? Which, yeah. Yes. And I love the term bias aware. I think the data is biased. And uh, I recently picked up a book. I'm just few pages through. It's called Invisible Women, which calls about the gender data gap. And it's been an eye opener because there are so many things which contextually and historically I wouldn't have paid attention to, but now I do. So that's about being aware of the bias. And it also made me realize that it doesn't matter which gender you come from. You're already built in with that bias, including myself. So uh, I think what's helping is, yes, being aware of it. And everybody's talking about it, which is a huge step forward. Second, I think is, which is why diversity becomes even more important. Because when people who are aware and they are diverse, that is when we are going to solve problems in a more logical, diversified manner, getting in inputs from various people, diverse inputs, which may contradict each other, but that's how a good problem solving happens. So I think the bias will stay. Awareness and how we start to look at problems with diversified set of inputs is what is going to solve the issue. Yeah, great. Now, so you already mentioned one book. I had to grab this. So I still read paper. I have it too. Invisible Women. You see all my uh, post-it notes here. She's amazing, Caroline. Beautiful book. We'll share some other tips as books go. The other thing about minimizing biases here is looking at the range of data sources. And you already mentioned some unique data sources with imagery, satellite imagery and what have you. But for consumer brands, as we look at the future in a cookie-less world, in a way it's harder to get to know consumer preferences. Are there different external data sources that you're specifically leveraging? Or is it more about getting better first-party data to know your consumers? No, we're not limited to first-party data. I think we we have first-party, second-party, third-party data, all forms of data in terms of making uh, logical references and conclusions in terms of our consumer preferences. So various forms of data sourced from agencies, marketing and data agencies, from social networking sites, etc. is being used currently in terms of defining the consumer behavior. I know we're skipping around a little bit, but I also saw on social media, you recently attended a leadership course <laughs> and spoke about how listening is an art that most people ignore. As you work with your stakeholders, 
how has listening skills and developing these in your own team improved that connection between, say, business and IT or business and the data team? Yeah, so I did the six-week-long course on leadership, which was built around five principles, one of which was around creating win-win solutions, under which we also learned about listening. And it was that course which actually helped me understand that if done right, listening can be that hidden superpower for all of us. And not just at a professional front, but even personally, because I think uh, it's with the people we are comfortable with than when we don't listen properly. Of course, at work, we are much more attentive and cautious in terms of what we listen. What I understood is that listening is not just about words. It's actually a combination of four things. It's words, it's emotions, body language, and intention. And when we are listening attentively and properly, then we are going beyond the words of what, what is being spoken, but looking for patterns around these four key pillars, if I may say. Right. And to give you an example, when we don't listen, we may mix up a didn't and a couldn't. When we don't listen, we may not hear the pauses. They are very impactful in terms of the emotional bandwidth that gets created. When we don't listen, we are only talking about what we want and we are not looking at the intention of the other person. We are not really being empathetic to understand what is it going to solve for that person we are talking to be it people who I work with, be it my stakeholders, it just becomes very relevant everywhere. You know, I went through a clip to understand this on YouTube and maybe I can share it later, but there's this boy who doesn't want to talk about certain things, a young boy, and uses this word anyway to, you know, divert from the topic. Until I had heard and, you know, listened about listening, I would have never thought about anyway as a term in that fashion. So that's the power of listening. It's not easy. It takes a lot of practice. And I'm just starting to say that I will just practice it for five minutes to start off every day and try and get better with it every uh, day as we go along the way. If I bring it closer to your question on how do I interact or how do I bring it to practice when it comes to business in IT, I've become more empathetic in terms of understanding my stakeholders now. One, I do a lot of pre-work to understand my audience to understand what are their goals, what do they want to achieve personally, professionally, and then go with an approach which will help me create that win-win solution. A global team representative coming in with an agenda is always seen as someone who's going to come and push something down your throat. And that's what I'm trying to change with the approach of listening. So my approach, even in terms of what I do right now in my role is, I call it pre-diagnostics. It's like a pre-diagnostic of that function of that market to understand it better before we even go for one call with them and then understand the intention of what's in it for them. How am I going to enable my stakeholder, not just go with an approach of, you know, getting my job done. So that's how it's impacted me. And, and I see the change and I see how the conversations have been so fruitful in terms of both, you know, creating a trustworthy relationship as well as creating solutions that help all of us with, again, for me, the larger goal is to enable growth for Unilever. And that's what we work towards. Yeah, so good. So didn't versus couldn't. And then what's in it for them? I often talk about WIFM. That's what you really have to understand. So Wandana, what do you make of all of this? Are you seeing the impact of better listening and understanding intentions? 
Yeah, listening, although I've not taken this course, but I have paid intentional attention to listening habits because uh, several times you become a selective listener. You only want to hear what you want to hear and you will filter out the rest. And uh, believe me, my kids have reminded this, <laughs> me this multiple times that, mom, you didn't pay attention. You didn't pay attention to what I said. <laughs> Can you repeat it? And they have been enforcing this to me that repeat it back to me and say what I said. So we all have to pay attention to where we are listening. Sometimes we take it for granted, but it's a very important habit. As you grow in your journey, listening is the most important skill. And you have to pause. Diksha mentioned that pausing is an important element of it. If you don't pause, you didn't grasp anything. So as you grow in your journey, make sure you're listening, pausing, and that will transform you as a person. That will transform you for better because many leaders, we have seen many leaders who don't listen, who don't pause, who will go on and on and on. And Diksha is smiling. Uh, we have seen those people. Uh, so, and that way you realize, oh, your point never came across. So you want that to be that kind of leader who is coming across the good listener and that instills or that solidifies you as an empathetic listener, I would also say the same thing. So you're both using active listening skills to drive change forward in Unilever. And if you think about our industry, the pace of change has only gotten faster. The technology in a way almost more powerful, but more complex. And so if you think about the span of your careers in this space, has there ever been a moment or a project where you just thought, I can't do this, or what a failure that was? And if so, how did you navigate out of that? I can go first. Plenty of failures to talk about. And it's unfortunate people don't talk about it often. Recency effect, I, I was recently in a role as early as last year, which was my first leadership role. Um, I used to consider myself as a very risk-averse person before I took this role. It was a short stint of about 10 to 12 months in which I was supposed to get onto something entirely new. The entire ecosystem was new. People were new. What I was delivering was new. The functions I had worked in was new. But I took up the challenge and it wasn't easy. The newness of the entire role and the pandemic, because the social interaction was almost nil, caused all of it and the added pressure that it's my first leadership role and I have to perform and prove to the world that I can do this caused me to go into that phase of, you know, not thinking, not reflecting, not pausing and just moving ahead. So I did make a lot of mistakes, no denying on that. But what I learned is the best way is to just learn from it. Don't go into the cycle of should have, could have, would have. Yes, grieve over it. It's important. Take your time. But eventually, you know, just move on, learn from it and take the steps which will take you to better and greater things. And I think that's how eventually I landed a successful stint. And that successful stint paved the path for this role. So moral of the story, I'm not a risk averse person. Also, when you're in trouble, go ask for help. There's plenty around. Thank you for sharing that. I like your your way of framing it. And, and there's a quote about how 
I didn't fail. I just learned 99 ways that something didn't work. We, we should think of these as growth and learning, not as failures. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, I can share. So um, I came to Unilever almost three years ago from Verizon. So coming from a tech company to a CPG company, it was a shift. My mindset shifted. <laughs> and I would say that I was coming here to do pretty much what I had done earlier on. And when I looked at the community, I said, yeah, looks like they're ready. I can start. I can bring about the change and start the transformation journey. But I had to pause and listen. And I won't call it as entire failure. It was a shift in the mindset which helped me learn and grow and understand my people better, my teams better. Because I was coming to start driving the challenge and start moving forward. But when I started listening to people, then I realized where the problems lie. And I had to unlearn quite a few things. I had to unlearn and meet the people where they wanted to meet me, not just start on my own mission because I was coming here to drive on a mission, a challenge, but I had to understand what these people actually wanted so I could reshape my vision. So that's what I did. So it was a big learning experience for me, how to understand the people who are not so ready for change and who are not so digitally savvy. So as I use the word unlearn, I had to unlearn many times what I came with. And then I started bringing about that change. And that, of course, when you go slow, you pause, you understand, then you implement. And then you run in pilots. You start bringing about that change in small MVPs, I would say. When people start seeing the success, they start aligning to it. They start feeling a part of it. And when they start see it more and more, yes, we shifted during the pandemic. I think the world became a different place. We became more united than we ever thought. And transformation was a necessity, not a nice to have. So I would say all these things put us on a right path and right track to take it to a further and to mature our organization. So there was learning every single day, every single month, and there is still learning because transformation is a journey. It doesn't stop at any point. Sometimes you have to take whatever you learned from your past, and sometimes you have to be strategic and design things immediately on the fly because your people are looking at you and asking for something very different. So... I would say that has been my learning experience. Uh, there have been many times where I said, okay, I don't think this will move. And then your thought process kicks in, but you have to stay on your ground, persistent and be patient. Yeah, thank you both for sharing those. So it's been a great conversation, so many good insights. I always like to end with one question and you can each choose either what are you most grateful for or something that has made you laugh out loud, tears running down your cheeks, just full on belly laugh in the last year. Wanthana, do you want to take that one first? Yeah, I would talk about the grateful, whom am I most grateful for? Because I cannot count my blessings enough. And I cannot thank my board of advisors, which I always call my mentors, my sponsors, my friends, my buddies who helped me, rear me to a place where I am right now. Every person helped me in my success. There are people who might even not know that they were there to help me and something triggered. So I feel grateful besides family and health. Those are the people who brought me to a point professionally where I can proudly say, yeah, I'm here to now give back 
to all those people and remind myself that I was also once in someone else's shoes who faced the same problems as I did. So I'm truly grateful. And I, as I said, I count my blessing every day for all those good connections I've built over my career. Wonderful. Diksha? Yeah, since Vandana took the first one, let me diversify and take the second one. I have a two and a half year old, a pandemic baby, as you may say. You can imagine, I mean, I've had the blessing and luxury of spending much more time than I could have imagined because of the pandemic, because of the work from home. And every single day, now that she's in that phase of talking and telling us stories, there is something or the other which, you know, makes a memory of a lifetime. Most recently, now we are introducing to her various emotions and feelings. And, you know, we act together in terms of what is this emotion in that the best one is her confused face in which she would give an eye roll and go like this and say, what did you say? What did you say? I'm confused. And of course, it's funnier when she does it. But yeah, that's been for the last one week, uh, the highlight of the day, all days in terms of just asking her to repeat it again and again. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> what And what a fun stage. What a fun stage. You have many happy years ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Good. Diksha, Vantana, thank you so much for being on The Data Chief. Thank you so much, Cindy, for having us. It was wonderful. Thank you. Loved the conversation. I don't want it to end. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. <laughs>